KRXO FM and KRXO HD Oklahoma City. KRXO Claremore Tulsa, a product of Tyler Media, reaching over 1 million Oklahomans every week. Now, TotallyTickets.com presents the Franchise Oklahoma City Thunder First Take Post Game Show on 1077 The Franchise and 1079 The Franchise Tulsa. I need to catch my breath. I'm not even sitting in a chair. I'm on my knees on the floor because I had to rush back in here because Ryan Chapman just fired it up. Woohoo! I just got so excited, Brady. Everyone's <laughs> excited. Everyone's probably a little heartbroken as well. Once that adrenaline kind of man stops flowing, the Oklahoma City Thunder drop in heartbreaking fashion, 104 to 102 to the Houston Rockets in an indescribable game seven everybody this was there is so much i don't even know if we're going to be able to cover everything in one hour but we're going to have you covered as best as possible here brady trantham madison morris to my left ryan chapman across the way and then jerry ramsey's disembodied voice so we got a whole bunch of thunder a franchise thunder insiders here we'll be joined by john ham later we'll be joined by chisholm holland later on as well uh jerry i'll start with you since you're not here but we can hear your breathing but i i where, where do we even start? There's so much to go with. There's Lou Dort, 30 points, the most points ever scored by an undrafted player, undrafted rookie in a Game 7. He is the leading rookie scorer in a playoff game in France Thunder history. Uh, you can talk about James Harden being an absolute no-show in this game until he had one block, and now we're all supposed, supposed to believe that he plays defense now. Russell Westbrook had a good third quarter, a no-show in the fourth. Robert Covington saved the Rockets. SGA... Where was he until that last shot? Jerry, please help me. I, I can't stop talking. Help me. Now, now listen, to, to help people, listen, if you're listening to the postgame show and didn't listen to the pregame show uh, next season when this all fires up again, I advise you listen to both. I told you as Ryan Chapman, you can help me here. What was my quote about Game 7? Game 7 shenanigans. Game shenanigans. 7 shenanigans. This thing was bananas, and as Gwen Stefani would say, B-A-N-N-A. Is that how you spell it? No, Bananas. that's not how you spell it, Jerry. That's <laughs> completely wrong. Anyway, point on, listen, I knew that our cheer queen or whatever she is over there uh, would do that because I know you did it straight from middle school all the way to college. Wow. Uh, yes, thank you. But, yeah, you're welcome. The only former athlete on the damn show. Uh, okay, let's start breaking this thing down. The superstars did not show up. <laughs> the superstars did not show up. Lou Dort had a chip on his shoulder. Robert Covington was the guy for Houston, right? Darius Baisley had a great stretch there. And then you blink your eye, and Chris Paul has a triple-double. What the hell is going on here, right? It's just nuts. I love that James Harden gets the uh, post-game interview because James Harden, much like myself, Gets a lot of credit for not doing much. He didn't do yeah. anything in this fourth quarter. <laughs> I, I don't care. Like blocking Lou Dort, who had an incredible game. Do not write home about that. Uh, who who's on the call? Mark Davis. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he said, "Don't what? ever talk about uh, James Harden and his defense again." After that, James Harden did nothing yes. in this fourth quarter. He doesn't have to, Brady. The equity is there. He is the star. He's the MVP. And like I said, did you hear me process that by saying, like me, he gets a lot of credit for not doing much of anything. It really wasn't. It wasn't much of anything that he did. Uh, he got a straight line drive in the fourth quarter. Uh, that was to get it going. This thing was tight. And you could see both sides were incredibly tight with that little 15-second montage of just uh, Keystone Cops. Running around like nobody flopping everywhere, nobody making a shot. Both these guys, both these teams were incredibly tight, and it just happened to be the last couple of mistakes were made by the Thunder. And where you really want to go with that last shot, why was that last shot by Dort set up? It's because Shea did not want to drive. Chris Paul got double teamed, lost the, lot of, uh, the ball a little bit, and ends up in Shea, and Shea goes cross-court to Lou Dort. Come on, man. This whole thing was just watching little bitty tiny mistakes, and Houston happened to benefit from the Thunder's last mistake. I mean, you're, you're, you're not wrong, Jerry. I mean, there's again, there is so much to kind of unpack from this game, but Madison, uh, 
I mean, if we're going to focus on anything, I guess let's just focus on the last play of specifically the uh, whatever play Billy Dahman drew up. Pandemonium. And I'll just, you know, I'll just say it. Lou Dort, incredible offensive game. But him and Steven Adams on the floor. Look, Lou Dort, if he was the guy who was going to end up with the last shot, Mm -hmm. if the Thunder were able to, they they had 1.2 seconds left in the game. On an inbounds play, it got blown up because uh, whoever was passing, I believe it was S- uh, SGA, tried yeah. to pass it in at the last second to Steven Adams because everybody else was covered. Steven Adams, who had an incredible game six, in my opinion, nothing to really write home about numbers-wise. Steven was just, he had no business being on the floor. Right. And that last inbounds play, I'm sorry, Billy, Billy Donovan's going to have a lot of questions to answer with that. Yeah, no, he definitely is, just because it was a lot of pandemonium there at the end. And I just, I think that came with a lot of uh, just uncertainty about, you know, who was out there, like what was going on, because... I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I felt like the entire last minute of this game was just scattered. It wasn't well played out. I was just screaming, you know, like, why isn't Billy Donovan taking some of his timeouts? Obviously, he was able to take those. They came in handy there at the end, but there was just so much confusion, it looked like. I don't even think these guys knew what, what was going on. So it just led to really sloppy ball movement. It really just did not radiate well off of the Thunder. And, I mean, obviously, that's why they ended up dropping this game. So, yeah, SGA just not doing the best job there. I don't think Steven Adams had any business. I agree with you guys on that. And I'm just kind of like, okay, yeah, with the game that Lou Dort had, obviously I would want him taking that last shot, and that's what they set him up for. But I don't know. It just it was so all over the place. I don't think it was well drawn up, and I don't want to be the person that's going to sit here and immediately point fingers at the coach. But it's kind of come to that. It was just it was so scattered and just so disoriented. I just there is no possible way the Thunder were going to take that win. We the entire game, Madison. We were screaming, "Why is Steven out there still? Why is right. Nerlens even out like, there? Where why is Darius? Why like, isn't Darius Baisley who looked like?" Just that guy. Yes. He looked like that dude in the first half. He didn't play at all in the third quarter. I mean, Ryan, help me out here. I Steven Adams is an incredible player. He's important. He's integral, integral to the success of the Oklahoma City Thunder. I know that. But as we saw in six games, Steven Adams having a good game is still really not that good at the end of the day against the Houston Rockets. It's just not a good matchup. What what was going on? And there is so like I said, there's so much to unpack from this game. But Ryan, what is Steven Adams doing out there? Look, we talked about it in the pregame. We said, should Nerlens Noel get the axe for Darius Baisley, for more Daniel Gallinari at the five? Billy Donovan's insistence to continue to play a true center ultimately probably cost the Thunder in this series, I think. Yes. And um, it, that that last possession, and, and this game as a whole, I feel like, is the perfect encapsulation of what the Thunder were this season. Scrappy, yes. They have trouble just shooting the ball on open floor. It doesn't look great. And then you look up at the scoreboard, and somehow they're in the game. And in the end, they just ran out of gas and didn't have enough to beat one of the truly um, upper echelon teams in the league. And I think that it's just one of those things that they have a lot of growing up to do. Shea Gildas-Alexander in the fourth quarter had a lot of just awful decisions offensively, though I think we do need to give him some credit for playing a much, much better defensive game, especially after what was done to him in Game 5. But in the end, yeah, Steven Adams, is he just can't exist in this series. And it's it's the problem that he has is he's not a center of what the future of the NBA is going to be. And Nerlens Noel is more that guy. He can't really shoot, though. Can't pass. More athletic. I just don't understand why when a guy like Darius Baisley had it cooking, there was no reason to not go back to him in the third quarter if you give him five minutes and he's cooled off and awful because he's a rookie and they can have up and down moments in the same game. Sure. Fine. But the team, you they got that X-factor performance from a role player. Lou Dort came out and gave them everything they had. That kind of fluky, unexpected thing is what you need to win in a Game 7. And ultimately, when it shined the brightest, Gallinari was a no-show. SGA was a no-show. We've talked about Gallinari's playoff experience. The fact of the matter is, he's only really had four playoff runs, and they're all with bad teams that aren't going to make it to the finals. So I I think that it's just... A lot to unpack from the whole season, from this night, but Billy Donovan's insistence to just ride with the guys that got him there, like that's why the Thunder were in a Game 7, but that's also why the Thunder didn't win this Game 7. So there will be a lot to talk about, and especially with Gallinari missing that free throw, that wild what-the-heck sequence where James Harden got that. All of a sudden, (laughs) 
that just opens up the floor for you because a two wins the game. You can say, yeah, we're pulling Steven Adams off the floor because we just need anyone that can make any shot. Whoever gets open, play it to him. And uh, that didn't happen. And, and ultimately, the Rockets will be playing the Lakers here on Friday night, and the Thunder will leave the bubble. So, well, yeah, we obviously have, you know, we've got the entire hour to kind of get deeper and deeper into this game, go to some of the minute details, maybe talk, highlight some individual players. But, Jerry, real quick. Uh, big picture wise, this is a basketball season that has now ended three times. If we're just talking about Oklahoma City, it ended on March 11th when the season was suspended. You, uh, myself, Madison, we were at Flint for that evening. John Hamm, who will join us later in the second segment, was there for, um, with us, Jerry, uh, during pregame. It ended for a long time, and for a lot of that period of time, we didn't think that the season would ever be able to resume or finish. Thankfully, it was able to finish. Then, of course, last week, the NBA, led by the Milwaukee Bucks, boycotted uh, the game due to the uh, uh, shooting of Jacob Blake in Wisconsin that had taken place earlier that week. And there was some talk after that that the players would would just suggest, let's not let's just not continue and just go home. So there was a lot of uncertainty there. And now the Thunder, who no one thought was going to make the playoffs, who everybody thought would have Danilo Kalinari, Chris Paul, maybe even Dennis Schroeder traded, maybe even Steven Adams, and wouldn't would just tank for the future. Did all this stuff all season long this this season that just would not end, Jerry. And now it's finally over. And I gotta admit, I don't have a rooting interest for the Thunder, but I found myself just I couldn't help but feed off of this team. This team was so fun to watch, and I think I can speak for Thunder fans and just saying, obviously, you're sad that your team lost, but. I'm more sad that we don't get to see this team anymore. This is this was a fun team to watch. True one-hit wonder. That's what I called him. It was definitely a one-hit wonder. And you're right, Brady. And, guys, I, I will tell you this. Uh, being a lot older than you, uh, I've, <laughs> I've not experienced a team like this. Uh, you know, and, and we talk about it. I'm going to have a rooting interest for the Pistons. And, uh, obviously, I follow Oklahoma City basketball because I have a passion for, for the game. But... I haven't seen a team put together like this with as low as expectations to get where they were. Um, I like how you're sugarfooting and, and dancing around it, Brady. Truth of the matter is, Thunder should have won this game. They should have won this game. Thunder fans, you should be disappointed. You should. They played well enough to win this game, uh, except for the super clutch team that you're used to seeing and just winning impossible games throughout the season. It didn't fall for them. I'm watching SVP. Uh, talk to PJ Tucker right now. Who hit the, the brother had five, He hit the go yep. ahead shot. The brother had five points, and let's be honest, he passed up a three and shot a mid range floater. <laughs> Completely counterintuitive to everything that the Rockets stand for. So that that just tells you it was just a weird night for everybody. So, but as a Thunder fan, and like you're saying, Brady, uh, it was a lot of fun to watch this team. We have, um, we've covered teams, you, me, Madison, John, all of us, uh, have covered teams with just impossible expectations for years. Carmelo Anthony and Paul George in town. Kevin Durant, right, all around, doing all this stuff. Uh, they were supposed, they were supposed to figure out how to win a championship. To take a breath and enjoy basketball in its purest sense as a bunch of guys getting together, putting together a team and making a run. I mean, it's the Thunder's fourth year in a row that they're exiting in the first round. So let's not, let's, you know, let, let, let's not get too overjoyed with this. But Thunder fans, you should be disappointed. This team should have won uh, tonight, and they they just didn't come up. And the Rockets made the big play, and it was off a Thunder mistake. So that it was that close. It was razor thin. I want to stick with something uh, that you said earlier, Jerry. Uh, uh, let's just kind of go around the table, guys. Let's start with you, Madison. Um, I'm going to disagree with you, Jerry. The Thunder, they weren't supposed to win this game. Now, it, it, during points of the game, could they have capitalized off of a, like, of a small lead late? Sure. But the Rockets and the Thunder just traded possessions of just squandering, hey, put them away, and then they would miss a layup. Hey, put them away, Houston, and then Russell would go to the rim like, like a madman and just chuck it off the backboard. And then the Thunder would get the ball back, and Dennis Schroeder would short arm a layup that he typically makes. So uh, I'm going to disagree. Like the Thunder, it, it balanced out. Both teams did not want to win. <laughs> they played like it at the end of the game. They did not want to win because they were just making silly mistakes. We had one sequence where like nine players flopped all over the place, Madison. But mm-hmm. um, I, 
Yes, the Thunder had chances. I'm not going to disagree with Jerry in that, that the Thunder didn't, certainly didn't have chances, but um, I just don't know what I don't know what you expect because as someone who picked the Rockets in six, like obviously the team that I picked won the series, so that's not shocking to me. But um, again, I'm just at a loss for words when I'm trying to picture all the times Oklahoma City had chance. I mean, I was screaming like in the room down the hall with, with you, Madison. Yeah. The Rockets had four possessions where they could have put this game away and right. it kept Oklahoma City in it. And then Dennis Schroeder and Chris Paul just inexplicably missed shots that they have hit all season long. Yeah, no, it, I mean, I guess I would agree that Thunder fans should be disappointed about this game just because exactly what Brady said. There were so many different times where guys like Dennis, Shea, even Danilo, they had opportunities to make these shots that they can typically make or that they feel comfortable um, executing, and they just couldn't do it. And it was it almost looked like they were completely depleted out there. I really just don't think they had that fire to advance to the second round, which is disappointing, but also in a sense, it's somewhat understandable. This was a very emotional and a very draining series against the Rockets because it was so back and forth. It was never just like, oh, like we're super counted out. Oh, now like we made it back in, but we kind of fell back down. No, it was more like, okay, this is the Rockets series. Nope, this is going to be the Thunder series. And then it just went so back and forth that yeah, I think it just took a lot out of these guys, and that's really what uh, kind of summed up to the end of this game tonight. So, yeah, I don't know. In a sense, I agree with both of you because I do think that the Thunder had so many chances to win this game tonight, and they really should have. They really could have, and it was just disappointing that they didn't. But at the same time, they just they didn't have the fire. I mean, Shakeups Alexander was MIA tonight, and it was almost frustrating because I'm on the side with you guys of, you know, obviously I'm not going to fan out over this team, but of course I want to see them be successful because this is the team that we cover. And so it was just almost frustrating in a sense because we all knew the capabilities of this guy. We know what he can do out there, how much energy and how much firepower he can bring to a game, and it was just non-existent. So it's just like, how do you expect to advance to a second round against a team like the Los Angeles Lakers if you can't even do what you typically do, if you can't execute how you typically execute? It's just... I don't know. It was disappointing all around. And so, honestly, I think it's best they just go home and figure it out because I don't think that they fully had the capabilities to move forward. Ryan, I'm going to give you the impossible task before we get our uh, player of the game, which I'm sure that's going to be a tough one for for this Game 7. Before we get there, I'm going to give you the impossible task of I want you to pinpoint a sequence or a possession or a play or a, a play that should have been made that wasn't made. At the end of this fourth quarter, if the thunder, if the opposite happens, the Thunder win. Can you do that right now? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would say if Shea Gildas-Alexander could... Ding, 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 ding. ...find anyone with the ball with 1.1 seconds left on the clock. There was another scenario as well where I believe he just had to chuck it to... Um, maybe Chris Paul ended up with it with two seconds left on the shot clock because he once again started to uh, put his head down, drive, and then got into the middle of the lane and said, crap, guys, there's three defenders here. What do I do? So uh, it, it starts and ends with Shea Gildas-Alexander, I think. And uh, I'm just, they kind of went on a, on the road if they're going to win a series, guys. They can't do that. None of the road teams won in this series. I mean, traveling's hard, guys. Like, yeah. it takes a lot out of you, so. Well, let's, real quick, let, let's stop the doom and gloom. The Thunder lost, like, we've now accepted that. So let's have some fun. And let's uh, get the player of the game uh, fired up. Who wants it? Who wants it? Madison raised her hand. Jerry Jerry Ramsey, for all we know, is raising his hand, but we can't see I'm him. I'm raising my hand. You guys aren't acknowledging me. Well, that's because I raised my hand first, Jerry. You got to be quick. The, the player of the game brought to you by, brought to you by Alan Samuels uh, Volkswagen, there by the go. way. Uh, Scott, let's Foster, see, uh, Scott Foster ruled go that Madison goes first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, oh man, this is a toughie. My player of the game is going to be Lou Dort. I know, we're all shocked. It was very creative. I have many, many, many reasons for this, but I'll just cap it off and say that he's really the only one who fully showed up tonight. I'm not saying Chris Paul didn't have a lot to do with it because he had a lot of grit out there. He fought for this team till the very end. So yes, good on him. Lou Dort was making shots and he was making moves, so good for him. Hard to That's just... why I hate Madison. I just hate Madison. We all know this, Jerry. Be creative with this, Madison. I was look at your time to sh- night. look at your time to shine, and this is what you do. Great. 
I, I really uh, thought okay. Nerland's Noel's uh, rim altering <laughs> shot in the second quarter was uh, very pivotal to this game. Had I a- thought that Abdul Nader on the bench, he looked so fired up. Like that, that had a lot to do okay. with tonight. You ageist young people. The oldest person in NBA history, the 250 year legacy that is the NBA. Is that right? I'm not sure. I'm, I'm really not sure about that. But sure. the oldest person to have a triple double is Mr. Chris Paul. 19 points, 12 assists, 11 rebounds. This team starts and ends with Chris Paul. And it started and it ended with Chris Paul. Chris Paul misses that little jumper uh, with, what, uh, a minute 20-something or whatever. That could have been the go-ahead. It didn't drop the first time in a long time. Mr. Clutch uh, did not clutch up. And that's where the Oklahoma State Thunder lost, right there. Also had a terrible decision in transition on that three that fell. Just awful decision <laughs> Just making. <terrible. laughs> uh, I'm yelling, no! Disgusting. As it's falling. I'm like, look, Gallinari knew it. He put his hands up. He was disappointed. <laughs> no, I mean, Madison's right. Lou Dort is Lou Dort is the guy. He um look, I, I I've been optimistic about his offensive game. I didn't expect this. I didn't expect anything that would sniff this. And this is going to just get Thunder fans so excited for the future. They're already excited about Darius Baisley. They're already excited about SGA despite this series. But now they're go- they're going to go through the roof for Lou Dort because not only did he bring in on the defensive end and force James Harden to be a no show until he, oh I made that big block. So everyone please acknowledge my greatness, acknowledge me please. Lou Dort played his ass off. That dude, uh, that is that is a ball player. That is an athlete, and uh, he made Thunder fans very proud today. So he is the clear player of the game. Well, it's obviously Darius Baisley. He just wasn't given the opportunity to show it. Guys. Could, could no. have been for all we know, even with Lou Dort's 30-point explosion. Yeah, it, it can't be any of the guards because Lou Dort shot the ball 21 times. I don't care if Lou Dort is on fire like he was tonight in a Game 7. You can't have him shoot the ball 21 times. So, by default, it is Lou Dort with his 30 points. Thankfully, he made those shots. But that's why you lost the games, because your guards let Lou Dort shoot the ball 21 times. Well, someone's got to shoot it. Can't do that in a Game 7. Can't do it. All right, no, 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 no. Guys, we need to take a quick break because so much in this game. And we've got a lot of great guests lined up for you, your listening pleasure. We've got John Hamm on the other side. Uh, Chisholm Holland will join us later. But we've got Ryan Chapman, Madison Morris, Jerry Ramsey, me, Brady Tranth. And we want to give a quick shout-out to our friend Nick listening, at Sooner Swagger on Twitter for listening. Everybody, thank you so much for staying up late with us. We'll keep you covered for the next 45 or so minutes on this exciting, exciting Game 7. But you are listening to the Th- Take Post Game Show on 107.7, The Franchise. The Oklahoma City Thunder First Take Thunder Post Game Show, presented by TotallyTickets.com on 107.7 The Franchise and 107.9 The Franchise Tulsa. That's what the NBA is all about, everybody. Game 7. It was exciting. There was a lot of sweat. There was a lot of tears. All from me. All from Madison Morris. I was Morris. sweating, crying. All from Madison Morris, Franchise Thunder Insider. Got Ryan Chapman producing, keeping us alive. Jerry Ramsey also joining us. Brady Trantham here, your humble host. Uh, guys, I mean, we kind of we touched on a little bit. We didn't even sniff the entire game. We've got a lot to still cover, and we haven't really, really criticized Jake Gillis Alexander, but we might get into that a little bit in this next segment with our good friend, Franchise Thunder Insider himself, OKC Dream Team Extraordinaire, Mr. John Hamm on the Little Caesars Hot and Ready Hotline. John, I am still trying to catch my breath. How are you doing over there? I was ready to take the last shot. I don't know. Uh, you would have been a better option. You would have been a much uh, better option. Probably. I, don't forget, I mean, Adams hit that three to start the preseason in Tulsa. Oh, well, it's really it's really hard to remember that, John, because that was that was five years ago. Five years ago. Five years. Yeah. Well, okay, John. This it's so hard to even ask you a question because one little thing about this game is not going to encapsulate everything or lead up to why Oklahoma City lost. So I'll just get right into it because we didn't even really touch on it on the first segment. We talked about in the pregame what, four hours ago or so, about SGA needing to have an offensive impact in this game. Now, he hit a, I'll give him credit, he hit a big three to put the Thunder ahead by one. P.J. Tucker eventually get that shot to go ahead for good for the Rockets. But outside of that, John, 
I am thoroughly disappointed with SGA. I, I'm not thoroughly disappointed with his future, but this was an incredibly disappointing series for him and an even worse Game 7. He, he just looked lost tonight. This is where the box score can sometimes lie to you. Because if you, you know, if someone um, 13 years from now opens up and they're researching Thunder history or, you know, Rockets history, they're going to look at this game and say, well, I mean, Shane had 19 points on 6 of 11 shooting. He was 3 of 4 for 3. He had a tremendous game. Uh, It's not on him. But you had to see the game. And I tweeted about this during the game where SGA and Gallinari just looked so hesitant throughout the game. And with SGA, you know, you can kind of give him a bit of grace. Being a second-year guy, so that you can kind of can kind of say. So a little disappointing, like you say. Um, we'll see if this is a big deal going forward or not with him. John, uh, Jerry Ramsey, how you doing? Uh, oh, Center. hey, Jerry. Long time hey, no talk. How you? Uh, how you been? <laughs> how's it going? Uh, I, I just kind of want to get on to what I have noticed is when Dort scores or shoots in volumes, that's where SGA and Gallinari seem to disappear. Uh, there's something there. there. There really is. And I know that everybody was losing their mind and the greatest rookie, you know, game seven undrafted perform I don't know just all kind of made up stuff about Lou Dort having a, a great game tonight <laughs> but to be very honest I think that if you look back on it it's hard to have Gallo and SGA on the floor as Dort at the same time because offensively I think those two guys Shea and Gallo are more rhythm guys and they just couldn't get it because Dort uh, sort of took it upon himself and and listen it, it worked tonight we saw what it looked like in Game 5, and then you saw what it looked like in Game 7, but neither one of those guys got to get into rhythm because Lou Dort was taken. What was it, 16 shots tonight? It's a lot of shots. Jerry, is this the uh, like the alternate reality, like the mirror universe of Game 5, where Dort actually makes all of the shots? Because in Game 5, you know, we talked about that was the Rockets' plan, right? They were ecstatic if the play ended with Dort taking a shot. And, you know, that particular game, uh, Gallinari and SGA were non-existent in that one. But in this alternate reality, Game 7, where it happened again, Dort actually produced. And, by the way, huge applause for that. And and we should, in some ways, uh, you know, if you're a Thunder fan, you should be uh, very ecstatic about that because there's a lot of doubts about him. But on the other hand, no, look, the Rockets, that's what they wanted. I think they were willing to take their chances. The game turned out to be close, but they were probably they're, they're walking away from this pretty ecstatic that those shots weren't going to uh, you know Gallinari and SGA in that situation. I, I, I believe that's completely completely accurate. And let me fix this real quick for people that don't have a box score in front of them. He shot the ball twenty one times. Lou Dort, okay, Lou Dort, guys, intruder. Take a breath real quick and just remember where Lou Dort was at the beginning of the season a hundred years ago that this brother in a game seven took 21 shots. That's unbelievable. He was on North Reno. And again, I mean, that was the Rockets' plan. And I mean, believe me, anytime that there's a loss, you know, social media goes to work trying to find the culprit. You know, it was... uh, uh, Colonel Donovan in the kitchen with the saucepan or whatever it may be. Um, but, I mean, I think that's part of it, Jerry. In Game 5, Houston was ecstatic to have Lou Dort taking so many shots. They sort of replicated that, and there was not really any adjustment. Game 6, we saw sort of the, the best of Gallinari. We saw the best of SGA, and you know, not enough was done. Credit to Lou Dort for making those shots, but I think they pretty much did – what Houston wanted them to do. Real quick break before you move on, I just want to point out the 21 shots by Lou Dort, more than the 18 taken by Giannis Antetokounmpo. I just want to throw that out there real quick. I understand game two of a conference, you know, a conference semifinal in game seven of a first round, but Giannis, Giannis Antetokounmpo tonight took 18 shots, the possible MVP, and Lou Dort took 21. I'm sorry, Brady, go ahead. 
Oh, thank you so much, Jerry Ramsey. Uh, we are talking to uh, uh, John Ham on the Little Caesars Hot and Ready Hotline, but Madison is just like, man, she's about to destroy that microphone right in front Sponging of Sponging at the bit right now. I uh, No, actually, I was going to tell this quick story because, John, I think you will get a good kick out of this. So, before the season ever started, real quick, Brady and I went to uh, this community event, and Lou Dort was the player that showed up. Mind you, these kids... Definitely not knocking on the children right now. These kids, their they didn't initial, study the roster. yeah, their initial reaction was, "Who's this?" Like, I, no, we're not excited. <laughs> like, where's Stephen Adams? Where's Chris Paul? Like, where's right. where's Dennis? Sh- okay, kids, look look at what's going on right now. But I kind of just want to tie that in because we're obviously still on social media right now, seeing everything come in from post game. Obviously, very emotional. Chris Paul is pretty much the first guy that gets on there filled with emotion, but the one thing he really talks about is just the development of the young guys and how badly he wanted this win for them. Just, I, I don't know, like we said earlier, this feels like it's been a series for like five years now, but this team overall, can you just talk about a little bit of what you've seen Uh, out of the bubble with their development and how they've just evolved into such a great team and just why they were able to make it a seven-game series. Yeah, and and I think if you're, again, if you're a Thunder fan right now and and, and you're down about this loss, I mean, don't be. I mean, this was house money. Getting to the playoffs was house money. Getting to game seven of the first round was was house money, okay? You, You found 100 bucks on the street and you spent the last five bucks at Whataburger, right? Okay, you know, it, it, it's okay. It's just fine. And when you talk about you know, some of the contributions, Madison, of the, of the young guys tonight, you know, uh, I, I, I'm with people. I feel like Baisley should have played more. I feel like he has been pretty impactful this series, and that bodes well going forward, going forward for this Thunder team. SGA, yeah. I think there's a lot of things we need to figure out about SGA if he were to become – the primary ball handler, the guy with the ball in his hands a lot. What does that look like? I, you know, I, I think we as uh, as Thunder observers sort of see him and say, you know what, that is he's he's at least a pretty good second banana. Can he take that extra step? Dort, I mean, this offensive performance as we've seen throughout the season, it has been highs and lows with him. He has had games this season that have just sort of blown us away, like at Sacramento when when he you know dumped a bunch of points and. You know, again, in this one, there's a nice little core to build with there. And then Oklahoma City has so many assets going forward in terms of draft picks to build with. So, you know, it's a good base to build with. The veterans sprinkled in and and did what they could. And uh, I I honestly think Chris Paul spending this one, if it's one season, if he's back next season, however much time he spends with these young guys is going to be invaluable and, and stuff we may be talking about, you know, four and five years down the road. And, John, we'll have a lot of time in the coming days to sort of, you know, after we put this in the rear view, figure out what the next step is for Chris, Paul, Gallinari, all that stuff. But I want to talk about, at the top, tonight. Billy Donovan, he played Stephen Adams and Nerlens Noel for a combined 48 minutes. For those keeping yeah. track at home, that's an entire basketball game. Um, I, I know he got the coach of the year and, and well-deserved for what the Thunder did this season, but in this series, he his refusal to play that small ball lineup with Dort and, and Gallinari instead of Steven Adams, known as Noel, and, and playing the centers for 48 minutes tonight, even though it was painfully obvious that they were a big sore in what the Thunder were trying to do offensively. Uh, it, does Billy Dobbin have to wear this one? You know, and, and again, this is where the box score is going to lie a little bit because you're going to look and say, well, well, Adams is a plus zero and Noel was a minus two. That's not that bad. But, I mean, it's not just that. Um, I think for a lot of the series, a lot of people, uh, you know, fairly knowledgeable basketball people have been saying you should try some different things without Adams, without Noel, more Baisley, more Gallinari at center. And, and just see what it looks like. Like, give it more of a run. Give it more than just a few minutes against this Rockets team. And, you know, again, if there's people out there that are up in arms about Billy Donovan, I, I will agree with you that I feel like his reluctance to adjust, to, you know, it, to feel like, like the Thunder were going to impose their will on Houston and, like, force them to bring, like, Tyson Chandler off the bench or something. I, I don't know. I think that was a miscalculation. Now, the center made it a seven-game series. Fair enough. Um, 
you know, and, and they were in this one, and there's a lot of self-inflicted stuff in this one game that, that, that's going to haunt some of these guys for a while. But I keep coming back to Billy Donovan was hired because of his, you know, Sam Presley had a lot of, of glowing words and big terms to use for Billy Donovan, and I, I, I think he has done at times an underrated job for Oklahoma City. Uh, but this one, I, I feel like, I, I feel like it was not uh, it was not a good thing that he was unwilling to adjust. Can I throw something really quick there, Brady? Because I know you can't see my hand. Uh, but if we don't ask this of John Ham, then we are going to ask the wrong person. Uh, John, the trio of Baisley, Shea Gildress Alexander, and Lou Dort don't make seven million dollars. The three of them right. do not make seven. Did not make seven million dollars this season. How long does that last for the Oklahoma City Thunder to build around these guys? And I think that has a lot to do with how quickly uh, they can become competitive again if the bottom falls out with Gallo gone, with Chris Paul gone, and with maybe uh, taking offers for Steven and Dennis. I'm taking worst-case scenario, and I'm giving you the $7 million that they don't make. Kind of give me an idea financially. What could the Thunder look like financially next year? Well, I understand. Like, uh, SGA's in the second year of his rookie scale deal. He's not eligible for an extension until after next season. And let's say, let's say he even takes a huge step and he becomes like a max extension guy, right? I, then that's a contract that's fine to have on your books going forward. Basley's on, on the rookie year of a four year rookie scale contract. Dort, again, is making essentially the veterans minimum for the next few years. Thunder are set up fine there. And they're actually set up well to, to buy toxic assets from other teams, right? It, w- whenever they go out into the market, and if, if they're going to trade a Dennis Schroeder, right, they can take back someone else's unwanted contract for even more. You know, we'll, we'll take a first-round pick and a future first-round pick for your toxic asset, and you get Dennis Schroeder. They're set up well to, to collect even more stuff in the future. So yes, having these guys on the rookie scale contracts or in Dort's case, you know, essentially a, uh, you know, a minimum salary deal for four years is very beneficial. Um, and, and I think the question they're going to have to sit down and look at again, what are these guys potentially going to grow into? You know, Jerry, you and I've had the discussion all season is SGA quote unquote, that guy, is he a guy that's going to make, you know, a second team all NBA sometime in the next three or four years or not? I think that's the question the Thunder have got to sit down and figure out and, and plan accordingly. John Hamm, as always, it's always a pleasure. And, I mean, this is the second year that I've covered the Oklahoma City Thunder for uh, 107.7 The Franchise. So that's uh, another year of covering the Thunder alongside you. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for another great season. Five years ago, the Thunder missed the playoffs at the end of the regular season. The, the, the regular season used to end in April. I don't know if you guys <laughs> September remember September playoffs. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and Jerry and I started up basically, uh, you know, just decided we're going to talk basketball because there was a void. And, uh, you know, we talked basketball throughout the, throughout the playoffs, throughout the offseason. And that has grown and grown to include you, Brady, to include Ryan, include Madison. And uh, it, it, it's a tremendous thing. So I look forward to seeing where this goes, no matter what the Thunder do going forward. Love you guys. Much love to you, John Ham. What? <laughs> what the hell was that? Mute, mute. Go ahead, mute, Jerry. <laughs> John Ham on the Little Caesars Hot and Ready Hotline. Franchise Thunder Insider, OKC Dream Team Podcast. Subscribe to it on Patreon. Loving. Who are we loving? Thank you, Ryan. Ryan, just I, keep that I, off. Ryan has All the day. power. <laughs> All <it>. day. <laughs> I love this game. Shay Gildress Alexander. Who is Gildress? <laughs> Who is that? Did he play in this, in this series? Because it, it sure looked like it. It didn't look like the SGA from the regular season. I do not know who that is. I am not just going to sit here and take a John Ham. I love you. I'm not. This is... This is not where this is not where I am. Well, here, do me a favor, Jerry. Put your clothes back on for the third and final segment, please. Please. I tell you what, Chisholm isn't going to say he loves us. Oh, I know. Chisholm hates hates me. He well, yeah. Chisholm's a Bulls fan. I mean, I would hate my I would hate everybody too if I was a Bulls fan over the last decade or so. One hundred seven point seven, the franchise. This is the Thunder First Take post game show. That's Jerry Ramsey that you just heard. Uh, talking over me, Brady Trantham, Madison Morris to my left, Ryan Chapman. We were just joined by John Ham. Like I said, Chisholm Holland. 
On the other side of the break, we've got more to cover this silly, silly Game 7. Stick here with us on 107.7 The Franchise. The Oklahoma City Thunder First Take Thunder Postgame Show, presented by TotallyTickets.com on 107.7 The Franchise and 107.9 The Franchise Tulsa. In just heartbreaking fashion, the Oklahoma City Thunder dropped Game 7. When they had just a plethora of chances. They had a chance with 1.2 seconds left on the clock down two. Inbounds play, and the pass went awry to Steven Adams, and the game ended just like that. That fourth quarter, especially those last two seconds, lasted about an eternity. But that entire Thunder season lasted an eternity because, like we already covered, and like you already know, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and the season took much longer, and that's why we have September playoffs. But you are listening to the Thunder First Take postgame show here on 107.7 The Franchise. Brady Trantham here alongside Miss Madison Morris, Ryan Chapman producing, Jerry Ramsey also joining us from Ramsey Manor, and we are joined by the co-host of the Triple M Ranch. You can hear on this station Monday through Friday alongside the one and only Mr. Sam Mays, but Chisholm Holland joins us on the Little Caesars Hot and Ready Hotline. Chisholm, uh, this is typically the, the hour where you're tweeting up a storm on a daily basis. You're not a daily tweeter, you're a nightly tweeter, so I can just imagine the takes are flowing uh, all over the place with you, especially because I, I think I already saw this, you tweeted a little bit earlier, on the final inbounds play, we already kind of talked about it, Lou Dort, who had 30 points, incredible game, one for the ages, was on the floor with Steven Adams. Go, Chisholm. Yeah, uh, not on the final inbounds play, uh, on that final possession. With 18 seconds left, Chris Paul kind of reset the offense and is looking to you know, try to create something. In the moment, I thought they should have called a timeout to make a substitution, uh, but I, I get it. You know, that, That's a hard call to make because Lou and Steven were out there for a defensive stop because you had to have it because you were you know, obviously down two. Uh, I, I think in hindsight, Billy would probably tell you he would like to have made a, a substitution because when he ran the inbounds play, he got a chance to run two of them. Uh, you know, Lou wasn't out there. So I, I think that was the adjustment that was very obvious, and, you know, we're going to talk about that in, for a long time in history. But it's clear that when you go back and watch it, I'm, I'm sure I'm not going to be the only person who's noticed this, and I, I don't know if you guys have talked about it yet. Go watch with that final play when Chris Paul, you know, dribbles to the right side, kind of gives Shea a handoff, and ends up with Lou Dort getting blocked by James Harden. The Rockets are running a 1-2-2 zone. There, there's two players on the left side of the court. Shea Gills-Alexander's in the corner. But Russell Westbrook, Robert Covington, and P.J. Tucker are all on one side of the floor. I mean, they're just begging for Lou Dort to end up with that ball in his hand or Steven Adams to get it in the short corner. I mean, that's how their whole defense was set up, which is predictable based off of the personnel that's out there. So, uh, I mean, yeah, Billy probably deserves some I mean, criticism for it, and I'll give it to him tomorrow when I'm on the air. But keeping in context that obviously this is a very great season and you know blew out expectations i just think it's going to it's going to irk a little bit of thunder fans cuz it feels like there was an obvious adjustment to make on that final possession that just didn't get made Chisholm, I don't know about you, but I watched probably the final 2 maybe 3 minutes of this game and I just kept saying, what is going on? What is going on? Like, it was just kind of all over the place. And so what I have come up with in my head, which I could be totally wrong as I am about most things, but what I've come up with in my head is that this Thunder team just, they were out. They were out of energy. They were kind of depleted. They were just very emotional, very tired. I didn't feel like they had the potential to really move past this first round. Yes, it's disappointing to say that because, of course, we all wanted to see them move forward. But, I, I mean, it just it just didn't happen. So, overall, when you're watching the final uh, couple minutes of this game and Shea Gilbs Alexander is kind of missing shots here and there, Chris Paul misses that mid-range that he usually can knock down. It's just a little all over the place. Just, I, I, I want to know, what were you thinking as that was all kind of going down and just how Houston was able to prevail? That, I mean, it, it, it's funny how sports work, right? It just depends on, uh, you know, where you're sitting down at and who you're sitting next to and who you're talking about. The game. I had the opposite perspective. I was watching it, and I watched Russell Westbrook blow, you know, four layups in the final few minutes. Uh, James Harden, you know, was struggling from the offensive end all night. Uh, and I had that moment after Shea hit that corner three, and he had been, you know, offensively really struggling for a majority of the game. He hits that corner three, and I go, I, they're going to do it again. Like, here they are. And it's not because they're just, you know, 
uh, firing on all cylinders. It's not because they're this offensive buzzsaw like the 2016 Warriors. They're, they're just going to get the benefit of playing a team that's just going to kind of implode on themselves, and they're going to do just enough to get by. That's, that's what I had in those last few minutes. And it wasn't until, again, that final possession that I just talked about where the offense just looked horrible, and all of a sudden you realize they're not going to even get a shot off, that I really ever really questioned they were going to win that game. I, I guess I'd just been programmed all year that if the Thunder was in five with a few minutes left, they're going to conquer and they're going to win. And sometimes we can't explain it, sometimes we can. I didn't feel like they ran out of gas, honestly. I feel like they kind of got in their own way. And some of that is like the personnel like I talked about, uh, and some of that is the inbounds plays. I mean, if you look at the play they ran with 1.1 seconds left, again, because they got to run two of them, if you go watch the replay, Carson Cunningham put it up, and I've been you know, watching it on repeat for the past you know, 20 minutes or so, it's very clear the Thunder thought Houston was going to switch. And that's why they couldn't get a shot off. They're expecting switches. They're expecting Chris Paul to be able to flare open to the corner because Stephen Adams is going to screen his own man, and Chris Paul's going to be all alone for a game-winning jumper, and they don't switch. And, and you, you know, is that Billy's fault? I don't know. Houston switches every defensive possession their entire existence until the final two where they run a 1-2-2 zone, and then they don't switch on an inbounds play. And you could say Mike D'Antoni outsmarted Chris Paul and Billy Donovan. I, I don't know if that's unfair right now. We're joined by Chisholm Holland here on the Little Caesars Hot Ready Hotline. Chisholm, I know we have a lot of uh, great graphics floating around Twitter right now. The one I'm looking at right now, only three players that are 21 or younger have scored 25 points in Game 7. That would be LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, and Lou Dort. I understand that Lou Dort had a great night, but I feel like we're going to wake up tomorrow and, and ask ourselves, why was Lou Dort permitted to shoot 21 shots, whether he's making them or not, in a Game 7? Like, Who does that fall on? You have many better options on the floor. I just don't understand how we got to that point, especially after Game 5. Yeah, I mean, I think the glaring thing here is when you're looking at the way the offensive distribution was, is if Steven and Dort are on the floor at the, at the same time, and Steven played over 35 minutes, uh, Lou Dort did as well, Houston's entire game plan was to funnel offense to Lou Dort. Now, what I will say is, as skeptical as I am of Lou Dort, and as, I, as much as I would tell you that this game was a fluke and not who he is going to be long-term, I don't think Lou Dort's averaging 30 at any point in his career. Uh, you know, you can't really complain. He was efficient. He, he hit over 50% of his shots. He hit 50% from the three-point line. So you really can't say that those shots really could have gone anywhere else for any better results. But, you know, to your point, Ryan, the reason that he shot so much is because Billy stuck with his lineups. And whenever Steven and Dort are out there, Houston's entire game plan was to let Dort shoot as much as he possibly could. How that worked in Game 5 backfired on them today, uh, as far as Houston goes, and Dort capitalized. I think if we could ever get some true serum in Oklahoma City and try to figure out why they were so insistent on playing Steven at the center and not playing Gallo at the center, I won't understand. Because Gallo played seven less minutes than Steven Adams tonight. And I... Again, I think that's something that, you know, a month from now when Billy's looking at the tape or looking at some of the stats or advanced analytics and Sam Presti's, you know, got his glasses pressed up while he's ironing his shirt, he's going to look at it and go, that was a mistake. We really should have maybe leaned a little bit more into the Gallinari at center lineup. And, you know, if you listen to uh, the franchise a lot, you remember on draft night about a year ago, I railed against the Darius Baisley pick, so allow me to eat my own words, Darius Baisley should have played more. And that's not, that's not a question. He absolutely should have played more. Uh, but Billy decided he wanted to go with size, defensive rebounding, which didn't work out because Stephen Adams only had one defensive rebound, uh, as opposed to athleticism and shooting. He, he made that choice, and he had to, you know, he went to wherever the you, the uh, the analogy is with a bed lying in it. That's what Billy Donovan had to do. So that's why Dort shot so much, and I, I think some of that was, you know, self-inflicted. But it just happened to work out tonight, which again I would like to clarify, I do think is a fluky game. All right, uh, you kind of. I don't know, you kind of defended Billy, kind of didn't, because I was going to put you on the defensive side here, all right? You need to defend. Are you ready? You want me to defend Billy? I want you to de- pick your choice. You have, you're you're going to switch here. Are you going to defend Billy, or are you going to defend SGA? Who are you going to defend right now? Oh, good God. Um, I think both of those guys, I mean, seriously, it, Jerry, if you're going to say who is more to blame here, and I had to power rank a list, those two guys would be at the bottom. I thought both of them just really didn't make an appearance tonight. Um, I, I'd rather defend SGA. I thought what Billy did tonight is something that if I was a Thunder fan, I would just be up in arms about. So I would rather defend SGA. All right. How about it? <laughs> defend him. 
I mean, so Shea, I mean, second year in the league, right? And he was the league sore coming into this playoff series, as we all know. We've all been beaten like a dead horse here. Here's what I would say about Shea. He could not have played worse offensively. I take that back. He did play worse offensively a few nights ago. He, he played about as bad offensively as we've seen all year. He, he, he was clearly uncomfortable. He had no interest in trying to get to the rim. He kept shooting weird floaters. He shot two uh, jump shots in a row that looked like a floater that he was shooting with one hand while standing still at the elbow. And that's the best way I can explain it. I've never seen anyone shoot that shot before. It, it didn't make sense. That's just how uncomfortable he was. You could tell he was just uh, in between trying to attack the rim and trying to take the mid-range jump shot, and he just kind of ended up in this no-man's land. And it led him to being him ineffective tonight. I mean, again, I don't know if you could really pick out a worse SGA game uh, here recently. He, he just struggled. He really, really did. But when the ball got swung around to him in the corner to hit a corner three to take the lead, the guy nailed it. And so I think that's the sign of true upside and a great potential player is can everything be going wrong? Can everything, you know, can all the S be hitting the fan? Can you be playing about as poorly as you possibly can? But when the moment calls and and the sound beckons, do you hit the biggest shot of the game? And SGA did. Now, he didn't get another opportunity to do so because he decided to throw it to Lou Dort on the final play. But, I mean, whenever he had his open opportunity to put the Thunder up one with uh, about a minute 40 left, he seized it. And so I think that tells a lot about his makeup and his character as far as being able to, you know, kind of grab a hold of those big moments. That would be my defensive SGA. Uh, Chisholm, last one before we let you go uh, for tonight. Uh, you got to get ready for your show and all the takes for tomorrow for this Game 7. But uh, Chris Mannix put out this tweet uh, just a few minutes ago. Uh, just compared the shooting percentages between the Thunder and the Rockets. The Thunder shot 47% from three tonight. The Rockets shot 35%. Um, the Thunder shot 46% from the floor overall. Houston shot uh, just uh, just under 40%. But the big difference was Oklahoma City had 22 turnovers. The, the Rockets had 12. You and I talked about this during the scrimmages on OKC 80, on the OKC82 podcast. I'm like, it was weird that this... this this Thunder team all of a sudden started turning the ball over, and they never really got rid of that. I mean, how much of it was just a funky thing that got added to this team because of the three-and-a-half-month layoff, or how much of it was just Houston, while they're not a defensive juggernaut, but just the small ball, the shifty hands, the quick hands in these passing lanes maybe uh, giving the Thunder some trouble? Because Chris Paul had six six of those turnovers. Yeah, I- Houston was, you're right, Brady, not in the top tier of the NBA on defense. They were actually in the bottom half. But they were in the top five in creating turnovers. And so I don't know what that's, for, what, what's that's worth. Uh, if you go back to Oklahoma State in 2011 where they're trying to win a national title, their defense stunk, but they created a lot of turnovers. That's the Houston Rockets. And, you know, that's kind of feast or famine, just like their offense is. And it just happened to work out in their favor tonight. OKC is one of those teams that if you're going to try to be the we're going to create a bunch of turnovers team, is the perfect is the perfect one to do it against because they're young and they got a lot of ball handlers and so when you talk about you know Chris Paul having six turnovers I you know I think that's just Chris Paul having a bad game but SGA was guilty of it too young ball handler Dennis Schroeder also as you know it feels like he's been in the league forever a little bit younger of a player also under six feet and so when you're trying to pass around Robert Covington PJ Tucker and all those other wings that Houston has it can be difficult and so. I think on some level it's just a bad matchup. And like I you know, Lou Dort and Steven, I contributed there a little bit. I think the guiltiest culprit for me, uh, outside of Chris Paul, who had, you know, six, as you mentioned, and had, you know, over five turnovers a handful of times in this series, uh, is Daniel Gallinari. I thought he also struggled in that department of just being sound and secure with the ball and, you know, not leading to extra possessions for the Houston Rockets. So I actually wouldn't say it was a fluke uh, or something that changed. I think Oklahoma City got careless with the ball. Uh, didn't really give Houston the credit they deserved on the defensive end for their switching style with all those wings, and they got taken advantage of. And, they, and again, my, my big takeaway from this series as a whole is if it really comes down to it, from Game 2 to Game 7, OKC played the same game plan every night. I mean, they really did. Same rotation, same lineups, same plays, same sets. Like, I, I really tried to find stark differences between any games, between 2 and 7, and outside of if they're hitting shots or not, there's nothing there. It is the same thing. And I think that goes for the offensive end as well as the defensive end and making adjustments to what Houston's doing on that side of the ball. And Houston created the turnovers in game two, three, and four. They created turnovers in game seven because OKC was doing the same thing. I think, I think that's the big thing is that they just never really found a way to get around those long, lengthy defenders. 
Chisholm, as always, thank you so much for your time, and I'm sure we're going to talk more about this uh, Game 7 and the Thunder's future in the coming weeks. We will, we will. I can't wait for them to trade for Donovan Mitchell this summer, guys. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for leaving us on that note. Night-night. Uh, night. Chisholm Holland, everybody, on the Little Caesars all right. Hot and Ready. Love hot. you all. Love Have you. sex with you later. Thanks. Oh. <laughs> oh. That was so yeah. nice. Really quick, before we get some final <laughs> thoughts in here, everybody, because we uh, Ryan needs to take us around the association. Now, a franchise NBA playoff scoreboard update presented by Bank 7. Because it's time for Brady to be excited. There were two games in the bubble tonight. Obviously, Game 7, the one we've talked about at nauseum. 104-102, the Houston Rockets prevail. In the East, Brady, what is going on? Both series in the Eastern Conference semifinals. 2-0 as the Miami Heat win 114 or 116-114 over the Milwaukee Bucks. Brady, go off. Jimmy Butler had like 10 points going deep into the fourth quarter, and the Heat eventually won. They're up 2-0 against the Bucks. Jimmy Butler had 10 points. And he had the game-winning free throws with no time left on the clock. It was weird. Dragic didn't foul. Dragic didn't foul. Let's get that straight. Jimmy Butler got fouled right at the buzzer. Uh, these things happen. Miami Heat up 2-0. I picked the Heat in 6. Might want to pivot on that one. Playoff Budenholzer is inevitable. Myers Leonard plays for the Miami Heat. Madison. So. I told you earlier I was going to be on on your like on your Myers? side. Yeah. No, well, okay. Good. Good. Whoa, it's getting late. Like late night radio. Uh, no, no, no. I told Brady like I will. I will be a honorary Heat fan just for you. Oh, thank you. Very You're welcome, much. Jerry. Are you now just kind of in awe of the almighty power of the Miami Heat? Jimmy Butler hitting those clutch free throws like Scott Howard in Teen Wolf. Are you kidding me? The only thing they could have done better was have Giannis Antetokounmpo like stare at him while he's shooting the free throws. That would have been uh, very Teen Wolf like. But uh, I got some fun stuff for you. Ready? Let's do it. Give me the give me the three guys that have been talked about for Coach of the Year: Nick Nurse, uh, Budenholzer, Billy Donovan. Okay, what are they all having? What are they all having going right now? <laughs> they all took L's. They are 0-2, 0-2, and lost to Game 7. That's a uh, Bummer. That, that's a big L for coaches of the year. And uh, a couple of things, too. Um, if you think that Billy Donovan made a mistake by letting Danilo Gallinari shoot the free throw for the uh, the technical, it's the first free throw he's missed, like, in forever. Yeah, and it was inconsequential. Danilo Gallinari misses that weird free throw he got to take. I mean, the Thunder would have just lost by one instead of two. So, But, uh, just uh, you know, and, and I love the application that is called Twitter. Uh, that is another com- uh, compound thing that people that are blaming Billy Donovan for this loss, that's another thing that they're, like, stacking on. But you can go ahead and eliminate that. <sighs> True that. No. It, it, it's uh, it's a little odd. I mean, really quick on the coaches of the year thing, because Toronto looks like they're going to get beaten about five. So uh, it's not looking good for all the uh, coaches out there. But um, overall, I guess let's get back to the Thunder for the last few minutes of the show, guys. Um, Jerry, we'll start with you since you're not here. Um, but I'm here. Well, you're you're not here. And I, and I, and I love you. I guess I'd say I love you Jerry, you ready? to be a part of the show. You ready for this? You're the disembodied now, now you're not here. Now you're not here. And uh, okay, now you're back. Uh, okay, uh, that's, that, that's that power. So what happens when you leave. Disembodied <laughs> voice, Jerry Ramsey. Uh, I guess, really quickly, when you're going to look back at this Thunder team, do you think that it's going to, do you think at this point it's going to already be overblown, just like the legacy that Chris Paul, like this Thunder team will have? Because... I, like everybody else, I don't think we're going to see this exact team next year. I think that the Game 6 is going to be talked about more than the Game 7, as crazy as that sounds. Uh, I think that uh, Lou Dort's 30, and Shea Gilders-Alexander, I know you hate when I say it, but I'm going to keep on saying it, and uh, Darius Baisley is a solid core that is just cheap as all get out for the Oklahoma City Thunder for the next couple of years. Um I'm not going to lie to you. I think it's going to be a rough couple of years, and people are going to be pining to remember whenever they were competitive in the playoffs. So um, that's what I think this Thunder team is going to lead, the legacy that they gave these young pups such great uh, playoff experience, and to remember, you know, awesome guys that were here like Chris Paul and uh, Dennis Schroeder and Steven Adams. So when you look back, you're going to say, man, they were playing together. How cool was that? 
Fair enough. Fair Pretty enough. daggum cool. Uh, Madison, any final thoughts on this wacky year that you covered an NBA team? Yeah, honestly, I mean, and very obviously, there's never been a season that people are going to look back and, you know, obviously witness what they did this season. It's just been insane. But it's also been very memorable because this team has had so much cohesiveness that has been uh, refreshing, to say the least. It, it was a really fun team to cover. I mean, I'm just speaking the obvious right now but yeah it was it was awesome and i really do think that people are going to look back at this nba bubble and especially what the thunder did because they provided great entertainment they had probably one of the strongest groups out there they really dealt through a lot of adversity they can't they kind of came out on top and proved a lot of people wrong and honestly i think people that watch the nba maybe they don't even have a team they can still root for this thunder team because they were they were very i, I don't know they were I, what's the word i'm looking Incredibly for likable Yes, likable, because I was about to say rootable, and that's not a word. The opposite of the last two years. Yes, exactly. They were just, they had a lot of potential. Personally, me, someone who has been covering this team for about three years now, like, I'm just, I'm proud of what they accomplished and what they brought to Oklahoma City. They brought a lot of great recognition, and people are going to look back on it and be proud of what guys like Chris Paul and uh, even Steven Adams and then Shake Gildas Alexander, Lou Dort, everything that they've done, it's been, it's been phenomenal. So, overall, it was a good fight in the bubble. They're headed home, just kind of regroup, see what happens uh, in the coming season, and... Yeah, I, I enjoyed the series, to say the least. Ryan, not bad for your first half of a year covering the Oklahoma City Thunder. Yeah, not bad. First half of a year that turned into almost a whole year, it felt like. But yeah, I, I think the legacy of this team is it accelerated the rebuild because it could very well be the same number of years of, of bad basketball if this team gets retooled and, and stripped in the offseason. But the what we've seen out of Philadelphia is it's often very hard to turn the page and make those assets meld together, gel, and become a winning franchise. It'll be on the guys that are left behind here to continue to take what they learned this year as far as the culture shift and move that forward. But we've seen places like the Miami Heat, because they have that Heat culture, I know it's a joke on NBA Twitter, but I honestly believe this, because they have that culture when they get the guy to come along like Jimmy Butler, they were able to immediately switch in and start to win games. And as we've seen, they're pushing the Bucks here in the playoffs. So I think it accelerates the rebuild in that sense. And, and maybe it gives Sam Presti a little bit more license to, if a superstar becomes disgruntled somewhere, maybe he's a little bit 1%, 2% more likely to pull the trigger and try to acquire them with, the, with some of the picks that they've got than sitting it out after maybe you know saying, well, it didn't work out so well with Paul George. Let's not do that again this time. So I think, if anything, it just accelerates the rebuild, and we're not doomed to see a decade of bad basketball here in Oklahoma City. I sure hope not. Now, I'll try to be quick because we're up against it, but um, uh, just simply because we don't know the future of the NBA after this bubble experience ends. Um, I know they're already talking about maybe starting December 1st or maybe at Christmas, but they keep pushing back d- dates for uh, the draft for free agency. Uh, obviously, with uh, COVID-19, this pandemic going on, uh, the future is kind of up in the air. So I don't know when we're going to be able to cover the Oklahoma City Thunder. So I just want to tell you, like Chisholm Holland, Jer- uh, John Ham, Jerry Ramsey, you, uh, Ryan Chapman, Madison Morris, thank you guys so much uh, for helping me out this year, uh, for doing a great job in your own right. This was obviously tough on everybody listening. This is tough on everybody here. Uh, but as it pertains to our job, this was really difficult. But you guys made it a ton of fun. And thankfully, we got to cover a fun team. Mm-hmm. And like I said at the beginning of the show, I, I'm a little sad that I don't get to watch this team play basketball anymore because they were an absolute joy to watch. And I'm sure Thunder fans uh, thought that they were an absolute joy to root for. So this was a weird year. Um, I couldn't be more proud to be uh, here at 107.7 The Franchise covering them. It was a lot of fun. But now I guess we can pivot everybody to college football. It's football season. We're 10 days away from OU football, 10 days away from OSU football, uh, which is also Tulsa. So cool because they're playing each other. But uh, uh, Jerry, I'll let you get one final thought since you're not actually here and I can't actually look at you with, a, with an IQ. No, listen, uh, whenever John talked about it, about putting together uh, the best collection of talent to cover this team, and, and, and I'll go by as far as saying that uh, I would put you guys up against anybody in covering this team. And listen, it's not over, all right? There's exit interviews. There's uh, you know the postseason. Uh, we're obviously going to cover the NBA uh, all the way to the championship. Uh, all the you know all the drafting, all that stuff. So it's not like we're going anywhere. The Thunder lost tonight, all right, and the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder are going to be uh, 
coming up, and, and a lot of people are saying it's a bright future. I don't know. I, I don't know. But I know one thing. I know all of us are going to tell you the truth, and we're going to cover it, and we're going to do it well. So, Masson, Brady, Ryan, great job. Chisholm, John, right? All that stuff. Hey, Connor, Connor the intern I-U-B. that's in Australia, <gasps> Connor! right? Yeah, I mean, Derek, let's, listen. Derek Parker. DP, Christine. Christine. Christine Butterfield. Yes. Yeah. All you, look, Everybody. all you fools. All you fools showed passion for uh, something that uh, many years ago, uh, whenever I would call Mike Steely on his afternoon show, and I would just begrudgingly make them talk NBA basketball. I love the fact that there's passion for NBA basketball in Oklahoma City now. And if there's one thing uh, that I'm proud of the most is that we do share that passion, and it's a lot of fun. So I'm not going to say I love you because it's not over. Basketball season is not over it's just stopping for the Thunder right now. So, hey, thanks Thunder, a lot, guys. Yep, Thunder fans get to watch Russell Westbrook in the second round for the first time since 2016, so that's exciting. But uh, everybody, let's let's pack it up and go home. Once again, the Thunder lose Game 7 and are eliminated from the NBA postseason by the Houston Rockets 104-102. to 102. But for Mr. Ryan Chapman, Mr. Jerry Ramsey, Miss Madison Morris, John Ham, Chisholm Holland, of course, and me, Brady Trantham, thank you so, so much for following us all season long. Here on with our Thunder coverage, but you were just listening to the final Thunder First Take Post Game Show here on 107.7 The Franchise.